Welcome to this episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on, well, I guess this is going to be on the internet, this video, but the audio (laughs) (laughs) is going to be on WBEW 107.7 FM LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. As you can see, I am your host, Olga Peters, and I have on Zoom with me the lovely Emily Kornheiser, as we are both sequestered in our abodes, all alone, during the time of COVID. Welcome, Emily. Thank you, Olga. It's so nice to see you and talk to you. It is nice to see you and talk to you. You know, I can be a little introverty and quite happy to have solitude, but I have to admit the recent solitude has been a little much. I would think so. Yes, (laughs) it has been for me too. I've definitely found tools around it. We can talk about that later, but it is, it is an interesting change mm-hmm. from life in the state house. How are you feeling right now with, cause what I'm coming across with uh, in the community and also in my own reporting for the commons, you know, how do we report and give people good information in a time of uncertainty um, when things are changing so rapidly? How are you dealing with that, both as an individual and as a legislator? Um, I I am struggling with it. I will be honest with you. I have some really good direct sources of information. Um, the legislature, after some um, chaos, I don't really have a better word for it, um, where all of us were reaching out to the administration separately, to our contacts and our relationships and the people we usually went to for answers. And Kendall, who sort of handles all communications um, from legislators out of the governor's office, was overwhelmed while she was trying to do um, more important things or other important things. And so that communication between the legislature and the governor's office has been significantly streamlined. so I feel like I have really reliable flow of information there. I have regular briefings um, through the Joint Rules Committee with sort of different pieces of the administration where I can get my specific questions answered for my constituents or for the policy I'm developing. Um, so I, and then I am on all of these regular community calls about rapid response things. And so I feel like I have these really reliable sources of information. I have this beautiful Google Doc that I am trying so hard to turn into a newsletter, but can't seem to find the minutes to sort of finish the writing on, um, because I'm on all these wonderful calls like this. (laughs) But as I push information out um, through the channels I have, I see, especially on Facebook, um, but other places too, um, even among sort of like email listservs with other legislators, there's so much misinformation out there. Yeah. Uh, so much misinformation and people are scared. Um, all of our, we're all sort of peaked um, or elevated. And so the reaction time speeds up. We don't take a breath to sort of think if it's the right thing to share next. And so in all that chaos, it's really hard to take the time to read the thing carefully, to understand it before you answer the question or ask the next question. It's really hard to sort of um I found that earlier on I was um, sharing information and sort of my lead sentence wouldn't be um, comprehensive enough because I was just trying to sort of send stuff out that people were misunderstanding what I was saying. Um, And so I've been able to take a step back for the most part and sort of do that breathing once I recognized how much my role is to stay calm and centered and be a reliable source of understanding the information that's there rather than creating Mm. new information. Um, But I have this incredible temptation to correct the misinformation when I see it. That's like, you know, I don't know if that's one of my best impulses under normal circumstances. Um, It's certainly a quality that I see like, maybe it's like, you know, it's one of those things that like I see my son doing at dinner in a fairly like, you know, there are ways to do it kindly and there are ways to not do it kindly. And I just, you know, like I'm aware of that as a normal impulse within myself. And in these times, there's no way to win. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and even, you know, like correcting misinformation on Facebook is a losing game under the best of circumstances because people want to believe what, you know, what feels safe and resonant for them in this moment Mm -hmm. or what elevates them more because they are in sort of a tailspin that they are caught up in. Um, 
And so I've really stepped back from trying to do sort of like one-on-one corrections, comments, um, seeding information in various places on sort of like groups on Facebook where I see it because I don't, I can't, I don't have the capacity to track like the 15 hundreds of, you know, comment threads that I could get myself caught up in. And that doesn't feel like it's safe or helpful for anyone. So I'm trying to stay in my lane, make sure that people know where I am and that they can come to me if they want interpretation of sort of things that are coming down. And that's where I am staying. And I, when people have reached out to me individually for sort of help understanding unemployment benefits and how they've changed or sort of resources available um, in the community, that's where I feel like I've been able to be really effective at helping people Mm-hmm. Um, find their way through this time of uncertainty. That was a lot of talking. No, thank you, Emily. Thank you. I think that was a lot of important talking. Um, I have a similar struggle and and timing for me has become really crucial because yeah. one thing we're doing, of course, at the Commons is online, we're having a running story, what we call a running story. And as information comes in, Basically, it just gets added to the top of this internet story. So you can, the fresh information is always on top and it just bumps down the, the other information mm-hmm. and there's editing as as Randy's basically taken control of that. But for me, it's like, okay, so I'm writing, I'm working on a, it's Monday, I'm working on an article. By Tuesday, when we're supposed to go to press, that information may or may not still be relevant. And so how do I find the pieces that are relevant and concrete that can, can last a longer time? Yes. And that's what I've been really juggling with since we're a weekly paper as well as the online. Well, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the pieces that I've really enjoyed that I've seen in this is really about like what, what we learn about human nature from these times. Um, what we learn about the cracks in our system that we were sort of aware of and that have um, widened in this time. Um, What are sort of lessons for lessons for the future that we're experiencing that we want to make sure that we hold on to and don't just sort of like leave, leave in plague times, but carry into non-plague times. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like that's like, that's the lasting information is, um, the humanity and the sort of policy implications of it all. Because all the rest, like the up-to-date information, blah, 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 that can all be found at like, you know, the six relevant links that I think everyone's using, right? Mm-hmm. Right, but it's the long-term implications. And I think also um, what I'm sitting with is just, and I'm watching this in my friends and family as well, is just, um. I don't think a lot of people were prepared for the sense of grief. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because this grief has happened in such a short period of time. Like last week was a whole other world. And yeah. the week before that was an even different world. Mm-hmm. And a month ago, oof, not even thinking about that. Um, and so I, I find um, with a lot of my friends and family just sitting with that uncertainty and also that grief of of what's happening, what's not happening, what they've lost, what they haven't lost. Um, it's really interesting. It is, and it's, um, it's hard to grieve what we don't even know yet, too, even though it feels so um, present. Mm-hmm. It's like grieving for an unknown future. And we always, I mean, the future is always unknown, right? Right. Um, But it's like all of these like very true things about life have become so much crisper right now. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't ever know what the future holds. Um, Things are always uncertain. You know, relationships are always precious and fleeting. Um, So yeah, it's really, it's really hard. And it's hard for me to sit with the grief of, um, you know, the interconnectedness of our life on earth to, I don't know how to say that in a less whooshy way. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember like, you know, the Australian wildfires and sort of thinking about the death of all of those animals and how, like, you know, if you could sit into that for a second, how painful it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I am not capable of holding 
the grief of the world right now. And what I see and I love and I don't really have the capacity for is the people who are really spending these moments um, highlighting the beauty mm-hmm. that they're finding in the cracks. Um, you know, like the swans on the that have come back to Venice. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. I have not. So oh. the canals in Venice are clean for the first time in like I, probably a thousand years. Um, and they have like, you know, wildlife is coming back to them in this very like what every apocalypse novel ever mm-hmm. has, right? Um, and so, you know, or the singing from the balconies in Italy. I don't know why all the beauty is in Italy. I'm sure there's beauty in China if we're just not getting coverage of it. Right. Um, and then, so I'm like so struck by that and so called towards that. And yet I'm so aware of like most of the people who are able to post, um, at least in my universe about the beauty that they're finding are folks who like are, feel relatively economically secure through this mm-hmm. crisis. Yes. And that is key. I have to say it was quite a, a moment for me. Emily and I were both on a call, um, a Zoom call yesterday with the BDCC for those who don't know, the Brattleboro Development Credit Corporation, basically it's a it's a group of business people talking about what do businesses need, what do we need economically, and Congressman Peter Welch was on. Welch, I always get that wrong. There, yeah, um, yeah you got it. Uh, was on the call, and it was both scary but comforting to hear him say at one point, "Look, the way we know the way to con- contain this virus is to shut down the economy." And that's Mm -hmm. the dilemma we're dealing with. But just Mm -hmm. to hear someone outside Vermont say, yes, we have shut down the economy. It's like, okay, we really are all in this together. It just, Mm -hmm. it was scary, but comforting at the same time. Yeah. And it, you know, highlights the existing weaknesses um, or tension points, I guess, in our own economy in Vermont. Um, Mm -hmm. We, I think a lot of us felt like we weren't going to be affected particularly by this virus because we're so rural, sparsely populated. People tend to like hiding in their houses anyway. Um, So that, you know, I think that sort of created a little bit of a Vermont exceptionalism in -hmm. the weeks leading up to this, um, which we, you know, are prone to. And then, you know, the incredible emphasis on our tourism and hospitality economy. Right. Um, Right, which is um, really, you know, an incredible source of income for so many people, I think is one of the reasons that Vermont has been able to maintain its beauty, um, why, you know, so many of our sort of really high-end value-added agriculture products have been able to thrive in such a small economy is because of tourism. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, it's the first economy, it's the first part of our economy that's really, suffered a significant hit here and will um it's going to have a enormous amount of trouble rebuilding yes and so olga do you want to do anything to silence your telephone um it's my father oh should we pause while you we're going to pause because he rarely calls me okay Thank you for that quick interruption of my phone. It shows that the uh, coronavirus doesn't stop even for radio shows. So <laughs> thank you for that brief interruption. Absolutely. <laughs> All is well. Um, so Emily, I'm sorry, you were you were talking about um, uh, the cracks in our system and the pressures on our, our economy and tourist industry. Yeah, and that, so we can, you know, the existing weaknesses that were sort of um, weaknesses or cracks, you know, a month ago are widening, as I said. And so um, really, you know, concerned about all the folks that work in hospitality, some of them with very small businesses, some of them much larger businesses, the people who work in all of those businesses who um, most of them, you know, tipped workers, which we've talked about, you know, the challenges of being a tipped worker, on many of our other shows together, um, you know, are we're the first to really experience economic impacts of this and we'll probably be the folks who experience it for the longest. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's scary. And I think that's scary for a lot of people. And so, um, 
yeah, would love to talk about sort of what we're looking at in terms of how we can support those people through this process. That would be great, because one thing I have to give the legislature credit for is I, I feel that you all jumped on this really quickly and you tried to find the cracks in the system that were going to get hit the, the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the legislature is um, basically recessed. No, actually, it's like, <laughs> it's weirder than that. Okay, um, good. <laughs> Yeah. Why not? <laughs> um, so what is happening is last, last week, what day is it? Today is Friday. Mm-hmm. Last Friday. Last Thursday, basically, we realized that stuff was getting um, significantly worse. And so two House committees really put aside the work that they were doing um, in the face of crossover, um, which was last week. And so for folks who don't know, um, crossover is the point in the legislative session where any bill that needs to move from the House to the Senate has to sort of be voted out of the House and move over and vice versa. and the second half of the biennium, which is this year, that's even more significant a deadline because you don't have like the other year to finish it up and send it over. And so things during crossover are like a harried, extremist, neurotic, elevated mess under the best of circumstances. And so that was no exception. And my committee um, and all the other committees were sort of pumping through legislation they'd been working on for a while to try to finish it up and get it voted out. Um, things on the, we were sort of going through, you know, 20 bills at a time on the House floor to move them over to the Senate. Um, all the lobbyists get really elevated because they know that their bill's about to die um, or not. Information changes really rapidly. And um, the, pitch in the state house with so many people so close together um, and all their feelings is really 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 intense um and then so we're layering on to that existing experience um a pandemic just for fun and just for fun and like we get, we are so close to each other's faces all the time and like touch so much stuff all the time and even without a pandemic like everyone's always exchanging like terrible diseases with each other and it's just like a really gross place when you like think about the microbial experience of it all which i generally just try don't. not to and now have been um <laughs> so anyway in the midst of all of that we a few committees um under instructions from the speaker um really put aside our existing work, got permission to um, miss the crossover deadline and to sort of have a later crossover deadline and focused on sort of COVID-19 emergency packages. Mm-hmm. And so that was um, the healthcare committee put together a really comprehensive bill. And then my committee, the Commerce and Economic Development Committee put together a fairly comprehensive bill that we on Friday voted out of the house along with like a million other little bird like bill like we passed this bill about migratory birds really really quickly too like that was sort of it was this funny balance of like well we should get everything off the calendar that's on the calendar and so debate on things that normally would have had like hours of debate were like (laughs) no questions at all so i'm a little nervous about some of the stuff that might have passed but (laughs) um the covid two covid 19 bills were fabulous um and then House General also worked on um, a package that isn't ready yet, but they, um, I can sort of talk about some of the details of that too. So the healthcare committee um, passed a bunch of, we passed a bunch of measures really sort of focusing on loosening requirements to get into the workforce mm-hmm. um, because we have a healthcare workforce shortage, best of times. Um, and if we, have a greater need for healthcare workers, and we have the possibility that healthcare workers are going to get sick themselves. Um, we really need to be able to bring more people into that workforce. So loosening, loosen some licensing regulations, really sort of like across the board, and not just in the healthcare workforce, um, and a few other sort of places in the workforce like childcare, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and so did that, um, and then some telemedicine work that we'd actually passed a few days before um, that they'd been working on for a long time. And so really tried to get the healthcare system ready for what's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my committee 
did a really deep dive into changes in the unemployment system that right. we would need to make this work. Um, and so I'll get into that in detail in just a second. Um, and so we passed those all on Friday and then we understanding that the Senate was not gonna be able to pick it up immediately, um, but so that it would be ready for them when they were ready for it. And because, so then we recessed um, this last week, we've been, the house has been in recess, mm -hmm. but the Senate committees have started meeting virtually. Uh, um, okay. And they are, the Senate is a much smaller body um, and their committees are much smaller. And so it's much easier for all of them to get together and not have the majority of people's mics muted um, and have a sort of functioning system. They're also able to get into a space um, if they do need to vote as a body, um, they have a much smaller quorum requirement mm -hmm. and could find a space where they can engage in social distancing appropriately while doing that. No one can figure out how to do that on the House side yet. Um, and so that's, that's sort of what the House is working on all the technology solutions to how many of us there are while the Senate is sort of continuing on in committee. Mm -hmm. Through this time, the Joint Rules Committee, um, which is a few members of the House and a few members of the Senate, um, sort of majority leader, speaker, pro tem, um, minority leader, um, assistant majority leaders. There, the Joint Rules Committee has been meeting every day at four o'clock and hearing briefings from the administration. And anyone in the public can call into those calls. And they're oh, really? really interesting, yes. Um, and then the Senate Committee that's been meeting this week those are all also available for anyone in the public to call into. And so that's how the, you know, public notice, public participation requirements, all of that, we need to maintain that while we're doing the people's work. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's been happening through this time. The rules calls are really interesting and they're at four o'clock every day. Um, and I, it's briefings from commissioners and secretaries about sort of specific issues in the administration, you know, specific issues of government that are under stress right now. And we want to make sure. Um, where where can someone find that call in number? Um, you know, I think Vermont Digger posts the legislative schedule every day, as well as all of the call in numbers for everything. Um, okay. But I can also add a link to wherever we post this. Okay. Um, so that's how people can participate. And so the Senate is moving along those to the health care bill and the um, economic development bill. Mm -hmm. um, and I think is planning on voting it out early next week. Um, and then the House is going to reconvene a few specific committees next week using the same sort of format. Okay. And so we can continue sort of doing the emergency work that we need to do um, while we figure out technology solutions for sort of the larger work of the legislature. Mm -hmm. So what are, amongst all this emergency response in the legislature, there's also some big bills that the legislature definitely has to, to do each year, mainly the mm -hmm. budget. Yeah. Um, it sounds like that is still in the mix, but hasn't been approved. That's still all in the mix. So the transportation bill passed the House already. Okay. Um, so that's great. And then the two other, the budget and the revenue bills um, are also the um, the budget last week when the um, Appropriations Committee was still meeting in real life. They sort of got clear on what was their what the bill would look like if they had no more time versus what the like what they would still want to work on. And so they prepared themselves for an eventuality where we needed to move really fast if needed. Um, and the revenue bill is sort of bills are sort of in the same. There's a few different revenue bills, um, but they're they're doing the same thing. And both of those committees are meeting virtually starting next week. OK. Um, yeah. And so that everyone's aware that like those are sort of must pass bills and those are moving forward as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that update, Emily. I mm -hmm. think we will want to go into some of the details in mm -hmm. those bills and, and the tools that people have access to. But just for the purpose of the audio recording, we yes. need to hear from some of our underwriters. 
Oh, fabulous. Yes. Let us hear from those underwriters. They are important. Should we because... play the co-op underwriter today? Because I feel like the co-op's been doing a lot to step up on this, and I would like to give them a little shout out. I will definitely play the co-op underwriters. Also, it's Ruth's voice, and you know how I feel about Ruth's voice. <laughs> She's so soothing. soothing. So soothing. Yes. So stay tuned, folks. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. happy hour here on zoom the internet as well as wbew lp brattleboro 107.7 fm your community radio station i should note for listeners that technically the radio station is closed to the public right now in fact it's it's been shut down so no djs are spreading any germs anywhere and i want to thank all the volunteers and djs who have stepped up to make sure that we can still get things on air uh, and work remotely. So please tune in to WVEW 107.7 when you have a chance and give a, a virtual high five to all the DJs keeping the station going. Emily, let's talk <sighs> about tools. So if you are one of the people who are out there facing unemployment right now, or even just worried that it could happen, what, what tools are in place for you? So unemployment eligibility is significantly expanded under these times. Um, so that means that if you leave work because you are caring for a loved one who is either medically vulnerable or sick, you are eligible for unemployment. If you are leaving work because you are caring for your children, you are eligible for unemployment. If you leave work because your business experienced a slowdown, you're eligible for unemployment. If you leave work because your business experienced a shutdown, you're eligible for unemployment. Whether that um, was because of sort of like normal economic reasons, because business slowed so much because of COVID that layoffs were required, or if um, the government ordered a shutdown of where you work, also eligible for unemployment. Unemployment is um, not the full amount that someone normally gets. It's a reduced amount of their income. Um, and there's also a rules change that allows employers, if they're able to or willing to, and you know, this is at the discretion of employers, to supplement the unemployment earnings to bring someone back up to their regular salary, hmm. which is not at all allowable under normal rules. Right, right. Um, in addition, people are not required to engage in a work search um, or be able and ready to go back to work or have a um, clear end date. So under there's um, a certain category of sort of seasonal layoffs normally that people um, can be exempt from the job searching if there's a return to work date. Um, but under these circumstances, a return to work date is not required. Okay. And so that is a really significant social safety net for people who have employers mm -hmm. um, and really encourage everyone to apply. The Because we had such low unemployment right before this happened, the call center staff of the Department of Labor um, was at a pretty skeleton crew because they didn't have a lot of calls to answer. Good and point. so... For the first few days, um, there was a lot of challenges um, with people on hold for significant periods of time. Um, they have, they've seen a thousand percent increase um, and wow. 4,000 submissions over the course of the week. Wow. And so, yeah, it's pretty huge. Um, and so they have significantly staffed up already um, as well as having everyone at the Department of Labor move into um, doing this work. Mm -hmm. So people who were, you know, helping people look for jobs or doing like workforce development or whatever it is, they're all on the call lines now. Okay. Um, but they all had to be trained to be on the call lines. And so that's really improved significantly. And then really remarkably quick um, action on IT staff's part. And like, 
you know, I think we all like don't give IT staff enough credit under normal circumstances. Yeah, we do. Like they're kind of dorky and annoying and they like always say weird stuff and like whatever. Um, but like there's a lot of IT staff saving the day lately. Mm-hmm. Um, healthcare workers also, healthcare workers, childcare workers, IT staff, grocery staff, cleaning staff, heroes of the pandemic. Yes. Um, so they also have an online form now, which will help tremendously. And so that's available for anyone who is employed by an employer, whether that's a nonprofit, for profit, et cetera. Okay. Um, and on the employer side, the bill that's in the House, left the House and is in the Senate right now, would make sure that employer training is not a pay that um, change. I'm so sorry, could you employers... repeat that? You froze for a second, yeah. Emily. I wondered if I froze for a second. I've been um, trying to get through to Fairpoint or what's it called? Consolidated Communications to update my bandwidth. Um, and I can't seem to get through to them. But I really need a little more internet if I'm going to be governing from home. Yeah, we all need to borrow some cup of internets. Yes. <laughs> um, so employers experience rating will not if if when this passes the senate and the governor signs it into law which all um signs point to yes employers experience rating is not affected by these layoffs and these unemployment um approvals and so the way this is like so technical but that's i guess what we do here um the way employers pay for unemployment pay unemployment insurance on each of their employees um, is calculated, there's a percentage of their total payroll that's calculated based on their past history of layoffs. Right. So a, an employer is considered sort of higher risk if they've had a lot of layoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some challenges with that also under best of circumstances around sort of smaller employers tend to feel a bigger impact of from sing, single layoffs, but um, this bill would repeat would basically hold everyone at whatever experience rating they were before this all happened. Good. So employers don't have a disincentive to let people leave work to keep themselves and their communities healthy. So it's mm-hmm. sort of like a public health response to um, helping employers be responsible that way. And so that feels um, like a really important social safety net. The bill that passed um, federal Congress and the president signed into law yesterday. I believe so. This? Very recently. Um, also has a lot of provisions around unemployment, which means that we will have a lot of federal relief, relief, meaning federal money going into our unemployment trust fund, which usually is just built out of that money that gets paid in. It's an insurance plan, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the money that's in it is just sort of a pool of money from what employers have paid into it in the past. And while it is quite robust and we got a briefing on sort of how robust it is on Friday before we left the legislature, um, certainly more money flowing into that is very needed right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really good. There's also pieces um, of the federal legislation that passed that gives sick and family leave to employees. Um, but the details of that, I'm not entirely clear on yet mm-hmm. because they seem to be Um, sort of stacked and it's not clear what has to come from employers and what is from federal money um, and how that's actually supposed to be carried out or implemented at the state level. Um, I know that in Vermont, if that money is going to have to come from employers who are already really economically stretched by these shutdowns, that's going to be fairly problematic. Mm -hmm. We have very few large corporate employers here, um, which makes, which changes all of our legislation um, around workers' rights. Mm-hmm. And really is, as we've talked about before, a real reason why we need sort of more centralized government run public benefits programs, because employers don't have the capacity to carry out those kinds of um, benefits mm-hmm. in a way that large corporate employers in other parts of the country do. So as we find, as I sort of um, have the chance to unpack and understand the levels of that legislation better, I will get back on the Zoom with you and tell our listeners about that. But the unemployment is really available. If anyone wants to sort of talk through that with me, I'm very happy to. Certain um, 
business owners have structured their small businesses so that they're employees of their small businesses. Hmm. And those folks are also eligible for unemployment. Okay. If you are a small business owner or a self-employed person um, who has structured yourself as an LLC and you are, um, then you're eligible for sort of the small business assistance that's happening. Okay. So those are sort of two categories. And then there's a third category of folks who are self-employed and are just doing 1099s. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a lot of Vermonters as well. Yep. And for those folks, unemployment benefits will be available if the president signs a particular type of disaster relief. Oh. Um, and we had that under Irene, actually. And that's called, it's disaster unemployment something. It's called DUA. And so I'm working really closely with my House committee to make sure our congressional delegation understands the need for us in Vermont in particular to have that designation so that our unemployment benefits can cover all of these folks who are Mm self-employed. Now, Wyndham County specifically and Bennington County and I think Windsor County, Mm -hmm. because we border um new hampshire and massachusetts who have already received a certain type of emergency declaration mm-hmm. we are also eligible for some of those declarations do you know anything about that yeah or? so those declarations are specific to the small business administration okay um and they're incredibly helpful and that's really sort of a flood of money to support small businesses um mostly with loans and so we have a whole package of that. Part of that was um, legislation that the House Committee considered last Friday and is sitting in the Senate with the Vermont Economic Development Authority, VITA, um, mm-hmm. which we don't talk about all that much under normal circumstances, um, but is one of sort of the major lending institutions in Vermont that props up specific industries or supports specific industries. They have a huge farm portfolio. They have a big hospitality portfolio, and we really look to them when we want to support a particular sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do that through really low interest loans, often um, sort of, and have a higher appetite for risk mm-hmm. in those industries than um, a regular banking institution would. And often the legislature will sort of down the risk with um, for those industries. And okay. so Vita is looking at a package of small business loans. Did I freeze and now I'm back? Nope, you're good. You're good. Okay. Um, Vita is looking at a package of small business loans that would either be super low 1% interest or no percent interest for businesses that would, would be eligible for loans. Mm -hmm. Um, and then people could then pay interest only for a quite a period of time until they were ready to repay the loan. And they're already doing that on folks who are in their existing loan portfolio, um, which is a lot of Vermont businesses and farms, um, and then would be are looking to expand um, with a little bit of an appropriation from the legislature, that same lending to more institutions. The SBA declaration, um, Small Business Administration declaration, sort of brings more money into the state to do essentially that same thing. Okay. Um, the problem that we see in Vermont, um, especially in Brattleboro, is that many of our businesses are not eligible for loans um, because are not interested in loans because they're fairly clear with themselves that they're not going to ever have the capacity to pay back that loan. Yeah. Um, and so in that case, what we really need is straight grants um, mm-hmm. or other forms of relief. And that's something um, that I think, you know, came up on that call with BDCC and Congressman Welch yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. And something that we're really looking at is sort of what is the relief package for um, some of these really small employers that we know won't be back after this if we don't figure something out. Okay. Um, the other thing that I, there's a few other things sort of related to economic uncertainty that I wanted to highlight for people. Mm-hmm. Um, before well, before yes, you do ma'am. that, Emily, I have one more question about employees. Oh, please. And I don't know if you know the answer to this, but if you are someone whose health insurance Mm -hmm. is tied to your employer. Yes. And you are laid off. Yes. What's, can you go right into the exchange? So the, um, 
I think most people know that there's sort of like enrollment periods for health insurance. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, in the fall, right before, you know, the late fall is when that sort of open enrollment period is for health insurance. Under um, any circumstances throughout the year, even when we're not in the middle of a pandemic, <laughs> if you have a change in circumstance, which a layoff is, you are eligible to go back into open enrollment. And so the exchange is there and available. And if someone has no in has no income, then they would be eligible for Medicaid, which is the best health insurance I've ever been on personally. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> anyone I know who's ever been on Medicaid thinks that too. Um, it's incredibly comprehensive. Great. And for those who yes. don't know, the exchange is also the name for Vermont Health Connect. Oh, thanks. So you can go up to the, you can find that information on... Um, through the Vermont Department of Health, but also... No, it's actually... Is it the Vermont Department of Health? It's the Vermont Department of Health Access, which is actually a go. totally different... Which is um, part of the Agency of Human Services. And um, Anyway, if you just, like, the smallest bit of Googling, well, you will find your way towards the health exchange. <laughs> you will. Um, and if you can't find it, email me or call, and I'll send you a link. Thank you. Um, yeah. And so that's that's how that's working. Um, and I actually haven't heard of any challenges with call volume there, interestingly. Fantastic. Because the one yes. thing we do not want people to not have right now in the middle of a pandemic is health insurance. Absolutely. And one of the sort of four federal packages that are is coming, and I think this first one, um, but again, I haven't had time to dive into the details of that and digest it, is um, sort of expansion of what we can use Medicaid funds for. Great. Yes. Um, so further, um, other sort of pieces of economic uncertainty that I think are really important to highlight. So a pause on evictions, um, and foreclosures requires an act of the legislature. And mm -hmm. while there is legislation that is being drafted about that, that would take a while um, and is a fairly complicated thing to pass because many um, folks in Vermont specifically who own and rent homes um, are couldn't necessarily pay their mortgage if someone wasn't paying rent. Mm -hmm. um, and so that would need that needs to sort of get solved before something like that could pass. However, um, there's a lot of rules changes that have taken place that are going to make it impossible for anyone to foreclose or evict right now. And so I want to sort of talk people through that. Um, both the Department of Financial Regulation in Vermont and sort of the federal department of that have advised um, the banking and insurance industry to work with their customers mm -hmm. around debt. Um, and so if someone is having any trouble paying any of their loans, whether that's a car loan or a home loan or whatever else, um, and their bank isn't willing to work with them in a very significant way on that, please be in touch with your legislator, with the Department of Financial Regulation um, to lodge a complaint about that, because that is really something that is being asked of the industry in a quite stern way right now. Mm -hmm. And it's something that the banking industry is actually in the banking industry's best interest um, to be doing that right now, yeah. to sort of keep the economy stable. Um, Does that also include credit cards? Credit cards, um, yes, it does include credit cards. Vermont has much less control over that industry because we um, don't have sort of any of the big banks, big credit card companies within our borders. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, it absolutely includes that. And so that's a really important thing for people to be aware of. Um, also, and I don't have my notes um, for all the details of this in front of me, but the court system is also on a significant slowdown right now. And um, both eviction and foreclosure proceedings need to go through the court system. Mm -hmm. And they will not be taking up any of those hearings. Okay. For the foreseeable future. Yes. So there's no actual way to do those things, even if someone wanted to. Um, that's, that's a true halt right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and so there's a lot of like interesting pieces of where, um, where power sits that are being illuminated through this process. Yeah. So um, there's been a lot of questions about taxes and taxes due and sort of fees due. 
And while the legislature needs to make a decision about changing deadlines on things, so changing the deadlines on when taxes are due, changing the deadlines on when a dog license fee is due, all of those things, mm-hmm. well, that requires an act of the legislature. The fines that are um, tied to a late payment on those things is actually in rules. So an administrative body, the Department of Taxes or the Department of Financial Regulation is who can um, levy or not levy those fees. Uh-huh. And so we can say, yes, the deadline's not moving, but there's no penalty for not paying. Um, and so there's a bunch of places like that, you know, like, no, we can't say there are no evictions, but we're not going to do anything about evictions, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the interesting balance that's been, um, that I've been sort of taking as one of those lessons of my understanding of um, cracks and opportunities in government that I'm hoping to carry into a post-pandemic future. Fascinating. Yes. Um, the last, um, never should say last. Um, <laughs> in a shifting situation. In a very shifting situation. Um, two other things I just want to highlight. Um is around childcare access and food access, um, mm. which are really important issues around people who are, you know, um, struggling financially or people who are just struggling through this because it is crazy times. Um, and so, childcare has now been limited to people who are essential workers. I think it's important that people understand that the definition of essential workers is quite broad. Um, it is not, you know, normally when we think about essential workers, we think about emergency personnel. Mm-hmm. And that is not what the definition of essential worker looks like, meaning essential workers who are eligible for childcare during shutdowns and childcare in school. And so that includes people who work in grocery stores, um, people who work for state government providing, doing benefits provision, um, people who, healthcare workers, um, custodial staff, um, and emergency personnel. if people think that they need to be on this list and aren't, it's a rapidly evolving list. So please lodge your complaint if you're not on the list and you think that you are an essential worker and require childcare right now. And so the childcare for that is being coordinated between the Child Development Division, Let's Grow Kids, and the school systems. Um, and there's sort of surveys out for if you need childcare during this time, you put your information in the survey. And then the resource and referral and schools in each community will be creating systems rapidly um, for people to get their children in childcare for that time. Um, also, people whose kids are in childcare, um, sort of the under five non-public education set, whose childcare centers are shut down, are being asked to still pay for their childcare while they're shut down. Mm-hmm because we don't want our childcare centers to go under during this time because it's already an incredibly fragile system. Mm-hmm. If that is a financial hardship for people, there is a whole other system in place to fix that. So um, that's another place where if things feel complicated or like they're not working, reach out because I've been really impressed with how much we've all come together to sort of see the problem, identify the problem, fix the problem, communicate the fix to the problem but there's so much information out there that often the communication of the fix to the problem gets lost in the morass of cdc updates Mm -hmm. so just want to name that um and then food access um groundworks in our community and many other food shelves around the state but groundworks in our community is doing deliveries from their food shelf Um, And you don't have to be an existing client of Groundworks to be eligible for that. You just need to be in financial need, which many of us are that weren't before. Um, And so they're doing um, deliveries from the food shelf and you just call Groundworks and ask for that. And then the schools are using the school bus routes to deliver bagged breakfasts and lunches and snacks to children all throughout the school district. Yeah. And so that is, um, and that's also available for anyone under the age of 18. They don't have to have been enrolled in school. They can be two years old. They can be homeschooled, whatever it is. Um, And there's a little web form and a schedule of school bus stops um, available on the school district's website too. And and let's not forget as well that... um... If you are hungry and you are eligible, you can still sign up for Three Squares Vermont, 
which is Vermont's version of um, what has commonly been known as the food stamp program. So yes, you can you can supplement your food budget that way as well. And Hunger Free Vermont has a lot of great resources on how to apply and um, Groundworks can help. I mean, there's a lot of organizations who can help Mm -hmm. you apply for that if you need help. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, And then um, senior meals are have sort of switched the way they do their work to a delivery model, too. So if you're in that um, over 65 category, that's available for you, too. Great. Yes. (sighs) (sighs) So much happening. And now we breathe. Yeah. And we pause. (laughs) One of the places of um, both one of those sort of cracks that's been widened and exposed and then um, that beauty is sort of within that I've found through this process is volunteerism. And so um, Meals on Wheels and Groundworks and all of our sort of community helping agencies, um, generally most of their volunteer capacity is folks who are over 65. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that we've known about our community for quite a while. And there's been sort of a push to bring younger volunteers in, um, but has been a struggle. And so in these times, however, we don't want medically vulnerable people driving around delivering things um, and being out in the community. You know, it's, we want folks to stay home and stay safe. And so really need to rapidly transition that volunteer workforce, Mm -hmm. right? And it's been really incredible, incredible to see that a few folks in our community have stepped up to organize all those volunteers. Um, Jen Jacobs, Erin O'Keefe, um, Carrie Seacrest, and Angela Earl Gray um, have all sort of stepped up to organize. Um, I think Jen Jacobs is sort of like one of the leads on it. And they've been doing some really cool work with a web form that anyone who wants to volunteer in the community fills out this form. Someone calls them that day and says, Hey, who are you? What are you interested in? Thanks for reaching out. And then they get assigned to an agency that really has a need for volunteers right now. Mm-hmm. And right now we have more volunteers than we have need. And that's like the best place to be. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's really great. And so that makes me feel like incredible about my community. And I hope that that's something that will carry over into sort of the post-pandemic future again. Yes. Now, the United Way of Wyndham County also has a form on its website for organizations and volunteers to kind of match up as well, right? They do as well. Um, A lot of agencies haven't been using that for a while, and the capacity to sort of fill in that web form to update their needs. um, A lot of organizations don't have the capacity to do that right now, given all the rest that they're doing. And so we have sort of these two parallel, like formal and informal tracks, and people are using both as they feel able and nimble to do so. Perfect. Yeah. Great. Well, we are looking at the clock just about out of time. Uh, But before we go, Emily, I just wanted to check in with you and see what are you doing to take care of yourself? during this time of transition and uncertainty? Well, I brought my whole teapot to my desk today instead of just a cup. Very nice. And that's a very pretty green teapot, too. Thank you. My family bought it for me a few years ago for my birthday. Um, So I've been doing that. Um, I made a funny list for myself. which I will grab, um, which includes like reminders about self-care or caring for myself on it um, that I've been looking at regularly. Nice. One of them includes just eat a green vegetable, which is something like under normal circumstances. I don't really need a reminder to do. I am like an adult who likes eating healthy. Um, but, but so when I've been comfort food. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's part of it is that like there was like a lot of toast and desires for pasta. Um, I did, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, so really like being super um, clear with myself about what I need to do, which is not what I always do. Mm-hmm. Um, and like naming the things I need. And so green vegetable, go for a walk. Um, I've been having some really fun Zoom um, dates with friends. Um, when I normally would not do that at all. And so like connecting with friends who live out of town that I don't normally talk to that much. And so that's been really, really nice. Um, 
trying to do more dance parties, but that's like right now sitting in intention rather than reality, but okay. um, listening to different music than I re- usually listen to. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cause you know, well, every mood requires a different kind of music. Mm-hmm. And then um, while I'm on conference calls that have a lot of people on them and I'm sort of muted for the majority of the conference call anyway, really trying to move my body during that time. Um, so as I get dressed in the morning, thinking about like, does my clothing have a pocket that I can tuck my phone into so I can be, you know, walking around the house, whether that's like vacuuming or stretching or just like being in movement while I am still working because it's really been like back to back video. Yeah and voice calls for like 12 hours a day yep. since this started. Yeah. Good list. How about you? Uh, some of the same things. Um, one of the, one of the, the things on my to-do list today is to sit down and say, okay, where can I fit in creative time? Cause one thing that makes me really happy is getting to do, you've seen my little crafts, you've seen all my little crafts. Yes. So, do my crafting, do my creative work, do some creative writing and make sure I actually make time for that. So it doesn't get yeah. swallowed up by the, the, the craziness of everything. Um, I've also very consciously shifted the type of TV and movie I'm watching right now. Oh, cause I tend to be someone who really likes mysteries and whodunits and police procedurals, but and also adrenaline. Yeah, those Yang action movies. I love those yeah. too. Um, and my sci-fi. Um, and they're fun. And let's, you know, with the mystery genre, it is about what happens when the world has been broken apart and how do you put it back together? Mm-hmm. So I will keep some mysteries, but I've also very consciously um, put in a lot of comedies. Mm-hmm. And even, I'm, I don't tend to be a romance uh, watcher, mm-hmm. but I've, I've consciously, you know, things that are focused on relationships, mm-hmm. I've consciously moved them into, into my queue as well to make May sure I that make I'm make a laughing. recommendation? Um, no, can I make a recommendation? Oh, yes, you? please. Please category. do. Call the Midwife if you have not seen oh, it. Oh, I love Call the Midwife. There are so many seasons. Mm-hmm. You, yes, it's I... really hard to run out. I mean, I did run out, but it's really hard. And so um, if you have not watched that recently, it's, it's a story of such beauty and resiliency um, and relationships. And so it feels very appropriate for this time. Yes. Do you have you. a recommendation about your media and or crafting? <laughs> I am still discovering things, but one um, show on Netflix that is crossing that border of keeping my mysteries, but also having some comedy is The Good Cop or A Good mm-hmm. Cop uh, on Netflix. Okay. which is about um, a, a father and son learning to work together after the father who was a really well-known detective who went bad is out of prison mm. and the son mm. is like not going to be like his dad and so he's this straight-laced by the book uh, cop and it's actually quite tender and quite funny at times so nice. That's my, at least on Netflix, that's my recommendation. I'm still working on the romances. I, I'm really out of that genre. So. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, I have intentions of starting watercolor painting, but I've not gotten there yet. I'm going to see if I can. My family are, um, they're like pretty serious introverts. And so none of this feels like a disruption to them particularly. <laughs> and so my efforts to like bring them on board with all of my new plans um, is falling a little flat um and so i'm hoping that maybe today i can engage my son in some watercolor painting um yeah good luck we'll, we'll have to have a craft yeah. show and tell when yes, the quarantine is lifted yes. <laughs> well emily as always yeah. so wonderful to have you on the show today you too Olga. yeah it's good to see you keep up mm-hmm. we'll we'll have to do this next week because as far as we know we will be on air and on the internet next week as well absolutely and we have some intentions of doing some shorter episodes um in the week ahead so we can sort of um be on par with some of the speed that things are moving and the need for content from people yeah just some good short information this is what you mm-hmm. need to know this is how you can use it absolutely wonderful Well, everyone, thank you for tuning in today. We are the Montpelier Happy Hour. You can find us on WVEW 107.7 FM Brattleboro every Friday at 2 p.m. 
or on the Vermontitude SoundCloud page, the Vermontitude Facebook page, and of course, Emily's emilykornheiser.org, ekornheiser at gmail.com, ekornheiser at ledge.state.vt.us. And just so everyone who's watching the video knows, I always make this silly dance when I say all the contact points. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. My Facebook feed is very filled with resources right now. And I'm also on Instagram, but I'm mostly posting pictures of daffodils and post-it notes. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and look forward to talking next time. Looking forward to it. 